0: Flint Hill Baptist Church exists to glorify God by gathering, growing, giving, and going in the name of Jesus and by the power of the Holy Spirit. Find out more at flinthill.net. Amen. Amen. What a beautiful time in the Lord. Amen. Already. Do you mind, Gavin, can y'all grab that little thing right there for me? Yes, sir. I' sir. I probably need to get up there, so I'm I'm, I'm working my way up the stage. I will. I told Randy last week. I think I'm, one day it's gonna I'm gonna slip. It's gonna happen. I'm gonna slip on these steps one day. It's gonna happen. Y'all can laugh at it. It'll be all right. <clears throat> you know. The, you know when you when you preach and prepare messages uh, of any kind, um, you know you're always I'm always overwhelmed with what the Lord wants to do. Uh, in the preparation and sometimes you get into thinking about what what he may do because i really believe god's word is living powerful uh, sharper than a two-edged sword it's not about me the preacher it really is not it's about god empowering his word he's brought this word to life and 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 let let me remind us god speaks even so today he's i mean again you're you're going to see with me open your bibles to isaiah chapter six if you will Isaiah chapter 6, we're, we're going to jump in here, and uh, we've been in this series, Encountering, <clears throat> Encountering God's series, seems a little audacious to name it like that, but I mean it is, I mean it's just what the God put on my heart, and even so today, I'll be honest with you, this morning trying to be sensitive to His leadership, even in this service, I know the Lord is speaking, calling to some even so right now. Um. And, and for some of you, it may be a, a call of salvation or a call of obedience to believers' baptism or a call to unite with this fellowship because God has called you here to honor Him and to serve Him. Or it may be, as Randy reminded me in reading the Scriptures, even just thank you for being open and honest, for some of us today, it's a call to come near to the Lord for comfort there is so much that happens in our world and our life, but, I, but I'm talking about you, personally, you, you. The Lord knows you by name. He knows every hair on your head or those that came off the head. It doesn't matter. He knows them all. And he, he literally wants me and you to listen to him and respond to him. Just to be straight up we you, the greatest, most important thing for any of us here today and in our lives at all is to hear from the Lord consistently. To walk with Him, as old hymn would say, to talk with Him. That's what the Word of God says. Let let this Word be a light unto our path, and a light, uh, a light unto our path as we walk down this road. Right? Don't let this Word depart from your mouth, but be careful to do everything written in it. And and and, and so I, I say to us, and, and as a preacher, I want I want to preach a message, and I want it to be you know in some sense tolerable. You know, I don't want you falling asleep on me during the sermon or something like that, but. But, but at the same time, it really means nothing if the Lord doesn't bring to life His Word and speak to His people. And so I, all I'm going to say to you is, I'm, I'm almost... Well, let me, let me just say this, because we'll have an invitation a little bit later on. And some of you already know what you need to do. And it's not, it's not about coming to me. You might need to make an altar about where you are and bow down before the Lord right there. You might need to just call upon Him. You might need to come up here. Maybe it's been too long since we opened up the altar and said, come on down here to the altar of the Lord, and pray, and seek the Lord, to receive comfort, so, so when I say all this, my heart is full, my heart is thrilled that we are gathered here today, because God is speaking loud and clear, may we have ears to hear, may we, may we be willing to listen, Isaiah chapter 6, I I call this the temple encounter, most commentators, most scholars would believe that he's that you that that Isaiah is in the temple uh, or the outer courts of the temple not necessarily the inner courts but he's he's in the courtyard uh, most likely when when the Lord really reveals to him and uh, so let let me just kind of share with you just a little bit about our context because if you're with me in chapter 6 verse 1 it says in the year that King Uzziah died let me pause there just for a moment because I need, I need to try to share because it's important. The Lord gives us his word. And in this first sentence, at the very beginning of this sentence, really he just kind of gives us a, a context of what's going on and how Isaiah came to this place where he may have been more open to hear from the Lord. And, and so it, it mentions King Uzziah. And when we, when we talk about King Uzziah, if you'll just hold your place here with me in your Bible, Isaiah chapter 6, and turn back with me if you don't mind to Second Chronicles chapter 26. And so this is one of those things, good night, I can't keep anything up here, bless my heart, here we go, 2 um, Chronicles, it's good to laugh at yourself, it really is, it's okay, 2 Chronicles chapter 26 tells us, gives us record of King Uzziah, and it's important, I, I think important, because there's several things that we need to know about King Uzziah that, pro, that not, not probably did impact not only him, not only Isaiah, but the nation, uh, of Judah, and all that stuff. So look, look with me in chapter 26. I'm not going to read all these verses to you. Um, but, but look at, uh, in 2 Chronicles chapter uh, 26, verse 1. He says, Then all the people of Judah took Uzziah, look at this, who was 16 years old and made him king in the place of his father Amaziah. He was the one who rebuilt uh, Eloth and restored it to, uh, t- to Judah after Amaziah rested with his fathers. Look at this, verse 3. E- Uzziah, again, was 16 years old when he became king. And he reigned in Jerusalem 52 years. His mother's name was Jechaliah, and she was from Jerusalem. And look at this, verse 4. He did what was right in the eyes of his Lord, just as his father Amaziah had done. He sought God during the days of Zechariah, who instructed him, what? In fearing of the Lord. And as long as he sought the Lord, God gave him success. 16 years old, steps up to lead a nation. And it wasn't just some little... Um, you know figurehead i mean he was called of god at 16 years old assigned to lead the nation and, and it's worth saying here he reigned 52 years he was a great king really was in many respects when you look at all the kings in this time he he did really well but here's what i and this just God impressed on me i mean and but we should not be shocked by this where god uses 16 year olds to lead his people we should not be shocked at this at all. And it's not just recorded in the scripture. I mean, I mean, how many times did a child lead the people of God? How many times did, whatever terminology, teenagers, young folks, I mean, whatever you want to say, they led the people of God into victory, into battle, conquest, into, into uh, I mean, think about the courage of those young men in the fiery furnace. I mean, just think about how God used young men and women in his people to lead the people of God. Now, I say this, I say this to all of us here. I mean, I'm 50. How old am I now? 52? I'll be 53. I'll be 53. You know, it's bad when you get to that point when you forget how old you are, right? Don't worry, they'll remind me. So anyway, but I'm getting to that point. But let me just say, just in my brief lifetime, I have witnessed, I have witnessed teenagers leading the people of God. I can't tell you how many times a child, 8, 9, 10 years old, leads his family to the faith and knowledge of Jesus Christ. I can tell you how many times I, I bore witness of what God did on Macadory High School campus umpteen years ago, through a hand, just a handful of teenagers, ragtag bunch of teenagers, right that, that were willing to trust in the Lord, called of God to influence and impact their generation. I, when we see this. In fact, <clears throat> I don't. Some of y'all know, see you at the pole or, or, or know that terminology. I would assume so. I, do they do they still gather at the flagpole and pray? Somewhat. I mean, I mean, I, yeah, I know you got a heritage Christian. I mean, they're probably praying all the time up in there. I get that. I get that. <laughs> Are y'all with me here? I mean, so, so have you ever heard of See You at the Pole? It's one, of the, it's one of the largest prayer movements in our lifetime. I mean, it really is. Back in 1991, if I get this right, and that tells my age, a handful of teenagers gathered out of a high school out in Texas, praying for their campus, praying for their principal. Out of that prayer meeting birthed what we know is See You at the Pole. Last time I was... Really involved in leading that. Millions, millions and millions of teenagers all across the world were calling out to the Lord, asking God to do what only God could do, to radically influence their campus, their peers, their friends. Millions. There's, we have no record of how many people have came to faith in Christ through the ministry of teenagers on a public school campus. Don't tell me Jesus is out of the schools. As long as there's somebody willing to preach, to share the good news, God is very much alive in that moment. Things may get dark, but listen, you got the light of Christ in you and you can share that gospel. Listen, you may not be called, you might not be the quote, called to preach. Listen, there's many of people that have led people to Christ that aren't called to preach. They just share what God has done in their heart, their life. And as a result of that, their family comes to faith, their friends come to faith. And and God will use that and anoint that. And here we see in in, in the nation of Judah a young man, 16 years old. God calls to lead this nation, and He does really a really good job for most of His reign. But I want us to look at this because in verse uh, six, He not only was just the king, but look at this: uh, He was. A re- it says that He then rebuilt towns. Uh, uh, he uh, the, the walls that were broke down. He 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 built them up. He he had he led conquests against the Philistines and other people that were around him. So in other words, He became this military genius in one sense. Rebuilder, protector of the, of the nation. In verse 10, I mean, it just says this. I mean, it, it talked about uh, his work in the land, in the foothills, uh, in the fields, the vineyards. And, 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 and it says this at the end, it says he loved the soil. He loved to get his hands dirty. I don't know how many of you love planting flowers, working the got a garden going on right now. He just loved the dirt. He was a farmer. I mean, you go on in verse 15 in the same chapter And it goes on and says this, in Jerusalem, he made, look at this, he made machines designed by skillful men. He was an engineer. Created things that had not even existed up to that time until his his leadership came in. Right? Um, Verse 15, this is where it kind of turns a little bit. At the end of verse 15, it says, his fame spread far and wide, for he was greatly helped until... He became powerful. Now, That's an interesting statement. But he did. His fame spread far and wide. In fact, um, um, one of the commentators made this statement. He says, Such was the nation's king, loved by his people, feared by the foes. Is, is it any wonder, look at this, uh, that King Uzziah, a skilled organizer in home affairs, took care of his people? He was a strategist when it came to foreign affairs. Became the pillar, look at this, became the pillar of the nation's hopes. Repository of her trust and the ultimate security of her prosperity and permanence. You see how over his tenure and over that time, the shifted, the nation began to shift their focus, and we begin to see this. This is the context. This is the context that Isaiah is in that temple, and all of a sudden God brings this vision. We're gonna to get to that in just a moment, what the Lord brings to him. But in the context, they're they're enjoying great prosperity as a nation, maybe like no other in this time, recent times. But you begin to see a shifting. Not only of the king, but the second thing is of his kingdom. Now again, uh, go back to Isaiah chapter 6 for me. I know, we turn it a little bit in the Bibles. Go ahead and go back to Isaiah chapter 6. When you read Isaiah, I mean, it's just a full book. It really is one of the largest in the Old Testament canon. And by far uh, the most quoted when you come to the New Testament. I mean, it is is just full of not just... uh, uh, God's righteousness, but God's salvation. We see it. It's just rich. And when we look at the first five chapters, and no, we're not reading all five of those this morning, you'll see almost kind of like a summary of what's about to take place in the whole book. But, but when we look at a glance of the first five chapters, you, you begin to get an idea of what's going on in the kingdom because there's something going on with the king. Obviously, he's passed away, but there were things that he was doing. And in that context, God reveals himself to Isaiah, but there's something going on in the kingdom as well throughout the nation of Judah. And just real quickly, in chapter 1, verse 13, he, this is the Lord speaking to His people. I mean, it's just a summary. He says, stop bringing meaningless offerings. Your incense is detestable to me. New moon, Sabbath, convocation. He said, I can't bear them. Your, he called it your evil assemblies. What's happening? The nation of Judah had continued to do what they'd always done. They, I mean, let, me, let me put it in our language. They kept going to church. They kept singing worship songs. They kept giving their money, their tithes. They kept serving and doing other things. But something shifted at some point. How is it possible for God's people to do God's work without trusting and leaning on and depending on God? How is it possible for God's people to do God's work and not be honoring to the Lord? And yet that's where the nation is. In fact, he says in verse 15, the Lord says, I'm going to hide my eyes from you. You you can offer those prayers as much as you want. In fact, he says, I'm not going to listen to you. Strong statement. In fact, he says to them, stop doing wrong. Learn to do right. Seek justice. They've let those that are oppressed be oppressed. They won't even defend the fatherless. They won't even plead the case of the widow. He goes on and on. I mean, in chapter 2, verse 12, the Lord Almighty has a day in store for who? For all the proud and lofty, for, for all that is exalted and they will be humbled. Remember, remember what happened to uh, Uzziah? He, he, he became famous. And, and, and the Bible says that it turned at that point because why? Because the fame, the praise of people around him began to come up to his ears, and all of a sudden he began to believe, you know what, I am all that in a bag of chips. You know what I'm talking about? He began to believe the hype. I am that. I'm bigger than life. I mean, that's what he began to really believe about himself. And in that moment, he, 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 you know, remember, remember, he was taught to fear the Lord, but now he's not even thinking about the Lord. In fact, I mean, he might have even begun to think, well, you know, I sure am a genius. I designed this little thing out here that the people had never even seen. It's helping us to become a, a military might like nobody's ever known. Now, I will tell you, y'all are some, there's some really, really, really smart people in this room. I can promise you that way more creative than me. Probably someone would say you're a genius in whatever area of expertise. You might think creatively and have designed stuff that I have no idea even how to communicate or talk about. But make no mistake, whatever comes out of your heart and your mind, it, I mean, the Lord is the one who made you, knows you, knitted you together in your mama's womb. And specifically with Uzziah, I mean, he's, he is clear. And so he's shifted. And so now the nation has shifted. I mean, it goes on. He goes on to say in... Uh, Oh, there's so many, there's so many, uh, so many places. Let, let, me, let me get to here in chapter 5. Um, he goes on to say um, in verse 12, they have harps and lyres in their banquets, tambourines and flutes. I mean, they got all kind of musical instruments going on, people singing, all this stuff happening. But look at this. But they have no regard for the deeds of the Lord. No respect for the work of His hands. There really has been a shifting in the nation The king, yes, but now the kingdom, you begin to see that this is the context where the Lord, come back to chapter six, verse one, in the year that King Uzziah died, this is when, this is the time that God's gonna speak this word, bring this vision, this revelation to you to to Isaiah. Now let me just mention here the prophet, the name means the Lord saves, which ought to give you a good indication of what he is doing, and yes, He will do. And yes, He will not just do for them, but forevermore. He is a God who saves. The Lord, His name literally means the Lord saves or salvation of the Lord. And yes, the people need to be reminded of that. And yes, that's why we see over and over again in Isaiah and for us today. I can't help but to read it through us today. In Jesus' name, I'm on this side of the cross. Thanks be to God we have a God who saves. He's a God who, who, who is full of grace. Yes, Yes, He's going to hold us to the... To accountability, yes, there's judgment, yes, all that, but there's always grace, and I'm so, I'm so thankful. I hope you are. I am. Thank you, Jesus, that there's grace and there's mercy. And I mean, you see it even you'll see it even in, in in what Isaiah is called to preach in just a moment. Let me remind you in Second Chronicles twenty six twenty two, the Bible records for us that you that um, Isaiah was the king's chronicle chronicler. If I can say that, I don't even know if that's a good word there. Paula will remind me, and just don't worry. She'll help me with that. In other words, he was commissioned to write down everything in Uzziah's life. So what does that mean? I mean, he was a very learned man. Obviously, we have the the wealth of Isaiah, the book of Isaiah. I mean, look how it's written. I I mean, it's really, in one sense, just a skilled craftsmanship. But that means, but it also means that he was in the, in the high courts. I mean, he was among the kings. He lived a plush life. No doubt about it. He enjoyed the fruits of the kingdom for sure. So he was still there, and he, that's who he was. Now, uh, there is a proclamation here in the context that we need to, to see. Because in chapter 5, verse 15 and 16 really becomes, in, in, in what I would say, the almost the thesis sentence for the whole book. Look at, look at, look at chapter, uh, chapter 5, verse 15 and 16. And here's what, here's what the Lord says. So man will be brought low. Now look, look at this. Man will be brought low. It's going to happen here in just a moment. And mankind humbled. And you're going to see that not only in the nation, but in the whole people. I mean, even in the process of salvation, the humble at heart. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they'll see the Lord. Those that repent and turn to the Lord. I mean, so the humility, I mean, it is brought forth. But look at this. The eyes of the arrogant are humbled. Verse 16, but the Lord Almighty will be exalted by his justice. And the holy God will show himself holy by his righteousness. This is a big thing throughout the book of Isaiah. Righteousness, the holy one of Israel. Anytime God's people drift away, the holiness of God gets brought back into the plumb line to get people back where they need to be. And this is exactly what's happening in the nation of Israel. Now, now let's just be honest. If you were in the nation, you may not have thought that things were going too bad. You might have thought things are going well. You're four okay shooting through the roof. I ain't going to lie. You've got plenty of food to eat. People are afraid of you. You've got security everywhere. You've got plenty of, plenty of everything. I mean, you're well taken care of and well fed. And, and oftentimes, I mean, in other words, the people didn't really realize how far they had come. I, I don't know how to help you with this. It's about like me when I was trying to shingle a roof with my daddy when I was about 10 or 11 years old. Yes, it's a new day, isn't it? You don't normally have a 10-year-old up on the roof shingling anymore, right? Now, I didn't have any gun things like that. That would have been nice. I'm swinging this thing. But daddy would get me started. And he said, son, take it over to the other side. I said, okay. And I, and I'm th- I thought I was doing a good job the whole way. But dad comes over here and ties it in on this side. And he's like, son, what in the world are you doing? I didn't realize from just from here to that wall that the gradual decline. I got offline. Y'all know what I'm talking about. If you ever roofed a house, doesn't matter what you're doing. And I, but I didn't realize I thought, I thought the whole time I'm doing a great job. And daddy's over here at the end of it saying, son, what are you? It's all I can do to try to fix this. It didn't leak, though. It didn't leak. I know you're worried about that. In the same sense, the kingdom had shifted so far; they didn't even realize how far they had shifted. So, when you hear this word in just a moment, it's a strong word that God gives Isaiah to preach and to share with God's people. But they turned; they'd gone so far. And God, by the way, God does the same thing for us today. I mean, in in His grace. Now, you don't. In the moment when God brings conviction, you're going to be humble, just like Isaiah here in just a moment. But in the grand scheme of what God's doing in His conviction, He's bringing you back in line with where He wants you to be. And that's called grace. I mean, that's grace in His kindness. All right, so let's look at this. Um, in, in Isaiah chapter 6. In the year that King Uzziah died, he said, I saw the Lord seated on a throne, high and exalted, and the train of His robe filled the temple. Above Him were seraphs, each with six wings, Two wings they covered their face, two they covered their feet, and two they were flying. And they were calling to one another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of His glory. At the sound of their voices, the doorpost and the threshold shook, and the temple was filled with smoke. Woe to me, I cried. I'm ruined. For I'm a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips. And my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. Then one of the Sarahs flew to me with a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with tongs from the altar. And with it he touched my mouth and said, See, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. Then I heard a voice of the Lord saying, Listen to this, whom shall I send and who will go for us? And I said, Here I am, send me. He said, Go and tell this people. And we'll get to that in just a moment. So let, let, let me break this down because in this, in this brief few verses here, God certainly had prepared the people, but he was preparing Isaiah to encounter him on this day. Now, in all respects, most commentators think that Isaiah was probably just at the temple. I mean, he was doing his normal thing. Now, now in, in looking at the situation, looking at how close he was to Uzziah, and let me say this. Oftentimes, loss or transitions in our life bring us to a place of helplessness where, where we may be, uh, feel a little anxious or concerned, whatever it may be. And oftentimes, let, let me say this, that may be an opportunity for us to turn to the Lord, maybe like we never have. And it's possible, possible that Isaiah was there in the temple in that courtyard. Maybe he was praying. Maybe he'd been there all day. We don't know. When exactly the vision occurred, but at some point as he was there, maybe crying out to the Lord, maybe he was crying out for the nation, maybe he was concerned, who's going to fill the gap? Who's going to be the next king? Will they be as good as Uzziah? I mean, there's a lot going on there. Personal things going on there. He didn't know what his fate was going to be. I mean, he was the chronicler. For, I can't even say the word. He wrote down the stuff for Uzziah, but is he going to do it for the next one? Where was he going to be in the midst of this transition, change? Not to mention all the loss that he endured. So it was in that context, God prepared him to reveal himself. And when he does, uh, 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 let, let me say this, God brings forth this vision. Now, in this vision, he sees this throne high and exalted, the scripture says. Again, we know that Isaiah lived in the courts. He lived there. He knew what Uzziah's throne looked like. Listen, he understood that. Probably went with Uzziah when he went to these other kings and kingdoms. People had some great thrones and they big thrones and all this stuff. But all of a sudden, Isaiah begins to see a throne like he's never seen. High and exalted. Why? Because this king, this king is not like Uzziah. This king is not bound by some little nation called Judah. This king is a what? Of the whole earth. None like him never will be. He's matchless. He is the what? King of Israel. Kings and Lord of Lords. Glory to God. Amen. He is high and exalted. The majesty of this king is like none he would ever seen. In fact, he says the train of the robe filled the temple. And this was common in their day. They'd have this long train that would be following them. This ornate kind of ambiance as they were walking. As they would go up to their throne. And all of a sudden he sees the train of that robe filling what the temple. He's seeing this majestic, almighty king like he's never seen. Not only that, but he sees these ministering spirits, the seraphs. The root word literally means fire, flaming. They were glowing, no doubt. Ministering to the Lord. And as they're ministering, it gives us a description of them. It says that they have six wings, too. They cover their face out of respect. Now let me remind you. Uh, I mean, even Moses, when God reveals Himself to Moses in Exodus 33, He said, the Lord said to Moses, you can't see my face. Y'all remember this? He, uh, he hit him in the cleft of the rock, right? And He said, I'll let you, I, I, I'm going gonna, I'm, I'm gonna to just pass on by, but you can't stare at me. In fact, I mean, we see this over and on. So the image, the vision here, you see a lot of descriptions of, of everything ab- around this king, this Lord, describing Him, right? The throne, the, the robe. The seraphs, the ministering spirits, all these things are going on. But you don't see anything about specifically about God Himself. I mean, he can't see him. I mean, if he was to show him of his, of his true glory, uh, he wouldn't live. I and mean, that's exactly what he told Moses. So anyway, so he sees these seraphs. Two of them, they're covering their face. It's a sign of respect. Two, they're covering their feet. It was a sense of humility before the Lord. In fact, it was covering their lower part of their body and two they were flying uh, giving an indication they were ready to respond whenever the Lord said do what I need you to do. I mean they were ready. It's very graphic. But but they're singing a song which I love. And they sing the song holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. Now you'll know this from your Bible in Revelation chapter 4 verse 8. I mean this is this is the this is the same theme song of the throne room pictured in Revelation. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. It is the song of heaven. It's a song when God reveals Himself to His people. He is holy, holy, holy. I can My words are failing. He is so different, perfect in all his ways. I mean, there's no imperfection. It, it is a, my words fail me, but, I, but make no mistake. When God begins to reveal Himself to His people, we instantly see how great He is and how great I'm not. Remember what He said earlier? He said, this is what I'm trying to do. I'm going to humble those that are full of themselves, full of pride. And so He lifts Himself up. In this moment, God is being exalted. Holy, holy, holy. The seraphs are singing unison. Just couldn't stop singing it. Lifting up the holy name of the Lord. And Isaiah is humbled. God's revealing himself to Isaiah. Now, now, let me say this. I mean, again. Many, I say many, a handful of people that I consulted in preparing for this, which was good. They will talk about the Holy, Holy, Holy as a reference to the Trinity of the Lord. Now now we say that, holy, 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 right? The holy trinity of God. You see later on in verse, why do we think that? Look, look at later on in verse uh, verse 8. Now, now I'm jumping ahead, but he says, who, who, I mean, in other words, Isaiah finally hears the voice of the Lord. And he says, who, Whom shall I sin? That's what he hears. And who will go for us? The plurality of God. I mean, here we are. It's God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. I mean, we're not going to break it down too. You know, I'm not the deepest theologian you're ever going to meet, Gavin. But make no mistake, rooted in Scripture. Now, now look, at, we, we don't have to stop there. Let me just remind you that in John chapter 12, verse 41, the Gospel of John, when referencing, almost quoting verbatim, this passage of Scripture, the, the message that he's about to preach to the people of God, John says this, Isaiah said this because what? He saw Jesus' glory and spoke about Him. So when John looks back through the cross, he sees the revelation of God in the temple as Jesus before the incarnation. That's John. That's testimony of Scripture. He says he saw Jesus' glory. But hold on. In Acts 28, verse 25 through 28, Paul, almost verbatim, preaching the same passage to the... Remember when he's giving an account for his ministry to the Gentiles and he's almost saying verbatim what's quoting here in Isaiah. He says this... The Holy Spirit spoke this truth to your forefathers when He said through through Isaiah the prophet, and there He went. So for Paul, looking back on this side of the cross, he looks back to what happened when Isaiah began to preach. He said, man, the Holy Spirit of God anointed him to preach that word to the people. Just a little side note about the wonderful truth of God. He is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. God, very God. Not only does He reveal Himself, but look at this, He reveals His conviction of sin. Go back to Isaiah chapter 6, if you're flopping around with you. Isaiah chapter 6. In verse 5. Isaiah's response is this, Woe to me, I cried, I am ruined, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the King, the real King, the Lord Almighty. He is overwhelmed with His conviction. Now, Interesting about the, 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 the statement, unclean lips. I can't help but to go back to chapter 1, verse 10. Remember the condition? I mean, this is God's word to the people there in the nation of Judah. He says, hear the word of the Lord, you rulers of Sodom. Listen to the law of our God, you people of Gomorrah. Y'all remember that? The multi, look at this. Multitude of sacrifices. What are they to me, says the Lord? I have more than enough of burnt offerings of rams and fattened animals. I have, no, listen, I have no pleasure in the blood of bulls and the lambs and goats. When you come to appear before me, who has asked this of you, this trampling of my courts? Stop bringing meaningless offerings. Your incense is detestable. You what new means, your Sabbath, your convocation. I can't bear your evil assemblies. Isaiah is overwhelmed, yes, personally with his own conviction of sin. But what does God brings out is his unclean lips. What do we mean by that? Isaiah was in the temple. He's been going to the temple. He's been singing the songs. He's been doing everything that was required of him as even a prophet. And yet the Lord brings out the reality and says, Mm-mm. let me show you what you really look like. You've come so far and here we are. You've digressed to this place where you honor this earthly king more than you will honor me. You'll say that he's the most brilliant thing you've ever seen because he's did all this, but you dishonor me because you don't acknowledge that I'm the one that brought life into his body, and I'm the one that's blessed this kingdom. You're dishonoring me with your lips. He says, "I live among a people with unclean lips." I mean, he is very. I mean, it's overwhelming him because now, for the first time, he's beginning to see as God sees the condition of his people. And it's breaking his heart. It's humiliating him. He's humbled by the conviction of God. Didn't he just say that in the previous? What did he say? He said what? He said, so man will be brought low. And this man right here, Isaiah, has been brought low by the conviction of God. The clarity that he begins to see the reality of their condition of unclean lips. But we don't stop there. Thanks be to God. Verse 6 and 7. Not only does he reveal his, his conviction, but his forgiveness of sin. In verse, what, what, what did I say? Verse 6 and 7. Then one of the seraphs flew to me with a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with tongs from the altar. With it he touched my mouth and said, See, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. This is a clear picture of this. Listen, it's not the coal, but it's, it's the idea of the altar. The altar is where the sacrifice would have been put. It's through the sacrifice that his sin is atoned for. Let me say this. Thanks be to God for the one ultimate sacrifice of the Lord Jesus Christ. We don't have to offer up blood uh, bulls and goats and whatever it may be to be atoned for our sin, but thanks be to God on this side of Calvary that we can acknowledge, yes, it's always been, there's always been need of the shedding of blood for the remission of sin. And yes, and even in this day, you see the forgiveness of God. He provides that for Isaiah. And let me say, it's God's grace that provides it. Isaiah didn't earn it. He comes to the end of Himself. He says, I'm ruined. There's no hope for me. And yet the Lord reaches out through the seraph, touches Him and says, Your sins have been atoned for. And thanks be to God, when God calls us to that place and reaches down from heaven, there, there's probably a good song that says, He touched me. And I know you can testify, I hope you can, about how when God touched you with His grace and His mercy and His forgiveness. So we see the forgiveness of God. But now, but now interesting thing. It's when God cleanses him that Isaiah is ready to hear God calling him. It makes me kind of think this. How, how, many, how often has God been calling him every time he came into the temple but he couldn't hear him? I wonder sometimes. We get so inundated with our ministry and what we do on a week-in, a week-out basis that we miss on hearing clearly from the Lord. Please hear this. My heart, my heart is one of gentleness and kindness Please hear me. I am guilty. I am guilty before you to become so in love with people and places and ministry and all that stuff that I have missed hearing from the Lord. I am guilty. I don't stand before you today and say, oh, yeah, you shouldn't. I'm not, there's no fingers pointing today. It's a real deal. It wasn't a real deal just back in Isaiah. It's a real deal today. God's calling. God is calling. God is calling today. What is he doing? Look, look at this. He calls at Whom shall I see, and Who will go for us? And, and of course, Isaiah, I can just imagine if I was a fly on the wall in that moment, he is at a point, I'll go. I mean, he doesn't even know what he wants him to do yet. He doesn't even know. I, I will say this, when you're touched by the grace of God, you'll go. You'll go wherever he wants you to go. Do whatever he wants you to do. If we start trying to think, well, I can't do that. I can't do that. I only have time for that. No, no, no. no, no. But when God's grace gets hold of you, man, you'll go. When God opens the door, you'll just jump through it. You won't be asking, I don't know if I can afford that. No, no, no. You're just going. He's overwhelmed with it in this moment. God begins to call out to him, and he says, oh, I'll go. I'll go. And he says, okay. Go tell him this. Now, I I don't have time this morning. But God's plan, please hear this, is to preach his word to his people. And you'll see there's kind of twofold here. He talks about in verse 9 and 10 the rebuke. And he and this is what's quoted multiple times in the New Testament. Be ever hearing and ever understanding. He's always seeing but never perceiving. Make the heart of these people callous, make their ears dull, They close their eyes, otherwise they might see with their eyes, hear with their ears, understand with their heart and turn and be healed. He is almost like prophesying in a sense like this is where we are. He's bringing God's word to God's people and bringing the reality, hey, this is us. This is how dire it's gotten. That's a hard message to preach to God's people. People want you to Tell them, you know, they want to hear how good they are and how wonderful things are. and Woo, woo, we had a high attendance day. I mean, think about the message here. It's it's a strong message. But God's interested in His people coming back to Him. He's going to tell you the truth. He might be on the end of your nose this morning. But it's not to put you down. It's for you to turn back to Him. Isaiah said, how long? And he said, look. Verse 11 through 13, he says, basically, unfortunately, he says, till the city's lying ruined. In other words, there's impending judgment. And he tells them, he said, look, there's, there's a judgment coming. And so Isaiah's ministry is to tell the people not just where they are, but look, there's coming a time when God will bring swift and severe judgment upon his people because we've rebelled against him. That's a strong message. Let me remind all of us here today, there's coming a day for judgment. And I don't mean that in any, like, putting of down of anyone. The reality is to acknowledge That reality means you're willing to turn to the Lord and trust in Him personally as your Lord and Savior. Because there's no other way, there's no other way under heaven to be saved unless through Christ alone. Y'all with me? But make no mistake, the preaching of the rebuke. But then we see, we see even in verse 13, at the end of that, he talks about the oak leaves. In other words, when the trees are cut down, they leave stumps. When they're cut down. So the holy seed will be the stump in the land. So even in this message, he's talking about the holy, what, the holy seed of salvation. You'll see that throughout the book of Isaiah. You'll see it about the remnant. And it keeps going and going. And thanks be to God through Jesus Christ. And now the body of Christ, the church, today, we can preach the gospel and share the good news. With who? With whoever. Wherever we are. This leads me to this the invitation. Come on up here, Gavin. So in this, in this invitation, and I don't think these words, they're not going to be up there, I don't think. But I want, I want to just share a word. Because I, I think God is in the business of, of empowering his people to preach his word. Now, you may not be called vocationally to pastoring. You may, not be, you may not like the title preacher per se. But please hear this word. Please hear this word maybe for the first time. This is jesus in matthew 28 verse 18 and 20 through 20. please hear it for the first time then jesus came to them and said all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me therefore go make disciples of all nations all people baptizing them in the name of the father and of the son and of the holy spirit teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Friend, I really believe God's inviting us today. Please hear for the first time maybe the calling of God on your life to preach, to make disciples, to share the gospel with your friends, family, neighbors, Whoever wherever God may lead, he said go as you go, as you live life. That's the imperative. That's the word there. As you do life. Listen to the Holy Spirit of God. Be led by the Spirit of God to share the word of God. Why? Cuz his word is living and powerful. It's sharper than a two-edged sword, right? Piercing. Piercing into the hearts. I said this earlier when I got up here. I have no doubt God is calling. God is calling. God is calling. How do I? How do I know this? I just sense that in my Lord, in my in my spirit this morning that God is calling. And let me say to you, if God is calling you, how do how do you know that? I can almost tell you. You, 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 right now on the inside of you, you're feeling this nudging, this kind of turning upside. You might even think this preacher's preaching right at you. It's not about me. It really is not. It's about the, the living God reaching out today by his grace to you. So if he's knocking on the door of your heart, if he's calling you, if it's to come and make public your profession of faith, then come. If it's to join and unite with his fellowship, come. If it's to come to receive comfort, then come. Just make an altar where you are. Don't leave here and not respond. That's a tragedy. That's what they were doing in Isaiah's day. They just went through the motions. God's not pleased with our emotions and, and just our routine. He died and rose again that we might know Him personally, passionately, growing in the grace and knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. God, help us today. there may be some here today please hear me you, you need to answer the call i mean the call it be, it could be to go on a mission trip it could be to go down the street to your neighbor it could be whatever but it's to share the gospel with the people around you whatever the calling that god's knocking on your door for please be responsive to him i'm gonna pray i'm gonna pray for us and we're just gonna sing a song of invitation father thank you for this morning thank you for this day it's a hard it's a strong word from isaiah for me for us for the family of faith here for the for the wonderful families and friends that have joined us here today. God, please, help us now, Lord, to respond, to open up the door of our heart, to not just hear it, but to respond as Isaiah did. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Will you stand stand with me this morning? Unless you need to build an altar where you are, just stand. If you want to come to this altar here then you're welcome. This is all open. We're here to seek the Lord, to hear from the Lord, to respond to the Lord. Gavin's going to lead us in a song. As he sings, you come. You, you, do, you do business with the Lord.